0: Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. Well, tonight we are on the next to last lesson as we have walked through Revelation. And uh, this is lesson number 37 as we... The next time we meet, conclude Revelation together. Uh, And of course, if you remember from last week, the Great Tribulation, as far as our study has gone, is now over, and we are thinking about heaven and about the great eternity that awaits every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other side of that coin, those who are not believers, those who die in rejection of the Lord, face an awful eternity uh, in hell. Now, concerning eternity, I believe that the Bible is extremely plain that a person closes his or her eyes in death and immediately in that moment, they will know their eternal destiny. They will know that they are either saved in the Lord Jesus Christ or they're going to be separated from the Lord God forever and ever. Immediately upon death, an earthly physical death, A person either in an unsaved state goes to Hades or in the saved condition of Jesus Christ goes to paradise. Now, Hades, according to the Bible, is a place of sorrow and anguish and thirst and regret and torment. If you remember, one of the ways that Jesus describes lostness is uh, the gnashing of teeth, basically eternal regret that... That one never came to the Lord Jesus. Hades is a terrible place, but as we study through the book of the Revelation, as well as the Gospels, we know that it only gets worse. When God consummates history and time, all the dead who are outside of Christ, who have gone to Hades, Hades is going to be emptied out, and the unsaved are going to stand before God Almighty, and they will be judged And when that judgment is complete, the doors of hell are going to be opened to the unsaved for the very first time. And death and demons and all the unsaved will be cast into the lake of eternal fire. This is the second death, according to Revelation. Now, I know that this is an alarming picture, but I can't candy coat or whitewash what the Bible says about. Hades and hell, the fact that lost people are going to spend eternity there. The Bible's picture is very clear. Now, that being said, that should give the saved a driving passion and need to share Jesus Christ with the lost. We know what they're facing because the Bible is so plain to tell us, and while we're not going there, our desire is that no one go there, and so we should be actively sharing the good news, the gospel, to see others, especially those we love and those in our families, those who surround us. We should want to see them saved. We should want to share heaven with them because we know how awful their eternity will be if they don't make that change. So we should see the Bible's picture of Hades and hell and understand that that gives us a renewed passion to share heaven and the good news of christ now when a child of god saved by grace through faith when that child of god comes to the point of earthly death they're going to find themselves delivered to paradise and if you remember jesus on the cross delivers a thief there to his side that believing person who is dying for his earthly sins and thievery That person who is dying on the cross, who comes to Christ as Lord, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, Luke 23, verse 43. That's the dwelling place of Christ. And we are going to see our Savior there. That is exactly what Jesus says to that thief on the cross. If he says it to one, he would say it to all. Today you will be with me in paradise, the very moment you or I close our eyes in earthly death as a believer, we will be with Christ in paradise, the dwelling place of the Lord. We will see our Savior there. Paradise is a place of joy and rest and peace and celebration. But paradise will only get better, just as Hades will only get worse coming to hell. Paradise is only going to get better as God opens up heaven, the new Jerusalem for all believers. So tonight... We're going to see God's picture of the New Jerusalem, our final home, our final place of abode for all eternity, the city of God. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to start with verse 9. This is a relatively long reading. Uh, However, I want you to hear the whole gamut of what the Lord is telling us about our final home in heaven, the new Jerusalem. So hear these words, Revelation chapter 21, go to verse 9. That's where we'll start, and we will lapse over a little bit into chapter 22. But hear these words. Of course, John the Apostle writes this, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates. And at the gates, 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, an hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysopraphis, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, and and several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. May God add His blessing to the reading of this precious, beautiful portion of His Word describing the home which you and I are not only going to see, but are going to live in one day. This is the city of God. According to Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, there are no thieves, no murderers, no dishonest people there. Now, that being said, why is there a need for walls and gates? If there are no dishonest people, if there's nothing coming toward the city that's going to harm it, why do we need walls and gates in the city? Well, these walls are not to keep the dishonest out, but rather these walls serve as eternal reminders to the faithful who are living inside of the city. If you remember, Noah, when he and his family were in the ark, what saved them from the flood that would have taken their lives? The walls of the ark. Also, when we look at the walls of heaven, we are reminded with every passing day of eternity that if it were not for Jesus, we would be outside of those walls. We are reminded that the walls are not to keep thievery out, but are to remind us of the protection we reside in because of the Savior who has loved us and saved us. I love verse 11. Look at verse 11. 11, chapter 21, having the glory of God, and her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal. The light of the city glimmers and gleams like a jasper. Most theologians agree that a jasper is a diamond. And as you know, the diamond picks up light and refracts it and shimmers and gleams. There's an indescribable beauty of this great city of God in which we will live. The 12 gates, you will notice that they are on the north, south, east, and west sides of the walls. They assure us that people from all nations, from every corner of the world, the northern, southern, eastern, western corners of the world, every person is invited to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those walls remind us that Jesus wants all people of all nations there. You will also notice in verse 12 that those walls are high and that they're very great. They, again, remind us that by their height and by their width and their greatness that our salvation is great. Our protection through Jesus Christ is great. Also, you'll notice that those gates are guarded by angels. The angels... uh, are guarding, reminding us that they're guarding the goodness of God to us and also reminding us that no vicious thing will ever come through those doors. Now, of course, the use of perfect numbers here is very important. Three gates on each side, 12 gates in all. Those are perfect numbers in the Bible and they contribute to our understanding that heaven indeed is a very perfect place. There is no imperfection in heaven, no imperfection in the city of God. And even the numbers that are used in heaven remind us of the perfection of our home. Now, beginning in Revelation chapter 21, verse 15, as we've read it tonight, we see an actual description of you're looking for that word. An actual description of the new Jerusalem with true dimensions of the city. I find this very interesting. You've, you'll see the dimensions here given are in terms of reeds and furlongs and cubits and stadia. And, of course, those are measurements that we are very unfamiliar with in these days. And even though we're unfamiliar with them, we know this. They indeed are actual standards of measure. They're not just estimating a gray area of how big things are. These are actual, uh, they're rulers, they are yardsticks, they are actual uh, measuring sticks for the size of the city. I believe they're actual because God uses actual dimensions throughout His Word. Think about Noah's ark. The exact dimensions are given of Noah's ark. We know that it was about two football fields long. We see that in Genesis chapter 6. We see the exact dimensions of Solomon's temple in 1 Kings chapter 6. And we see the description of the new Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21 as very literal. What we're seeing here are the actual dimensions of the city in which we will live. Now, I want you to bear in mind that the very few human words that I can use tonight cannot paint the, fa- the fantastic picture of the glory of God and the glory of the city that we're going to see. The very best thing I can do tonight is give you and myself a fuzzy image of what truly we are going to behold one of these days in glory. Verse 15 states that John saw one of the seven angels with a measuring reed, and he's going to measure the dimensions of this city of God. A reed was a measuring standard of about 10 feet long. Verse 16 tells us that the the New Jerusalem is equal in length and breadth and height. What does that say? It says that the New Jerusalem, according to the word that we're reading, is built like a cube. It's not circular, but length, depth, height, it looks like a cube. The measure of each side is 12,000 furlongs. Other translations use the word stadia. In our terms, that figures out to about 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles on every dimension, every side. So the the New Jerusalem is 1,500 miles wide, deep, and tall. Well, how big would that be? Well, if you were able to take that cube and encase it in a ball so that every corner of the cube touched the ball, the, the diameter of the ball would be about 2,600 miles. In relation to the moon, the moon is about 2160, 2,160 miles in diameter. So the New Jerusalem is bigger than the moon. You might say, well, that doesn't sound too big. You know, I agree with you. When I think about heaven and glory and and God's home, that sounds like a fairly small space, but we need to think of it in this way. The living space of the earth... Is only the crust on the outside. We're living on the outside. When we're living in the New Jerusalem, we're living inside of the city. We're living inside of that cube. One, according to these measurements, 1,500 miles on every side in a cube, there would be at least 2 million square miles of living space inside the New Jerusalem. I take it one step further. Pastor Clyde probably knows this. How many acres are in a square mile? 640 acres are in one square mile. So in the New Jerusalem, there will be at least, according to these measurements, there will be at least 1,280,000,000 acres of land in which we will be living. Now, there's Plenty of living space is what the Bible's teaching us. Plenty of living space for every believer of the ages, even those who are not saved yet. There will be plenty of space for everybody in the new Jerusalem. Don't worry about the new Jerusalem being, you're looking for this word, overcrowded. It will not be overcrowded. Verse 17 says, the angel measured the width of the wall. How deep, how wide was the wall that surrounds the city? In our terms, the wall is 216 feet wide, 144 cubits. Notice that's 12 twelves, by the way, 144 cubits, 12 twelves, perfect numbers multiplied. It's made of jasper, so the wall around the city is made of what we believe to be diamond, Uh, I can't imagine a wall of pure diamond that is 216 feet deep. Well, you know, maybe one of the most famous diamonds in the world was the rock that somebody gave to Liz Taylor, and it was five carats. That's a grain of sand against this wall. The base of the wall is adorned with 12 kinds of beautiful, precious jewels. Now, remember, the city has four sides. Every side has a wall. Each wall has three gates in it. Each gate is a single pearl, huge and tall. Why would God use pearls as gates for the city of God? I think there's great symbolism here. Perhaps it's because earthly pearls are formed in response to the wounding of flesh inside of an oyster. A little grain of sand gets inside of an oyster and irritates that oyster, and there's a coating that that oyster secretes that coats that little grain of sand, and it builds and builds and builds until finally you have a pearl. But the pearl develops because the flesh was wounded in the oyster. Perhaps the gates of the city remind us that the flesh of our Savior, Jesus Christ, was wounded so we could live there, so we could enter through those gates. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Remember Isaiah 53, 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. By His stripes we are healed. Our home in heaven is assured not by our goodness, but because our Savior was wounded on our behalf. It's by His wounds that we may be saved, that we might have Him for all eternity. I want you to notice beginning in verse 22 of chapter 21 that there is no temple, there is no church, you're looking for those words, there is no temple or church inside the new Jerusalem. Rather, the whole city is a temple. It is the temple of God and the Lamb. I also want you to take note in how this city is lit As we live on earth, you know, the sun shines on us. We reflect the sun. We reflect the light from an outside source. The moon does not produce light. It reflects light from the sun. However, the new Jerusalem does not reflect a light that comes from somewhere else. The light of the new Jerusalem comes from inside it. Why? Because God lives there. And God is the light And God's light is what lights the inside of the new Jerusalem. It's not a sun. It is not a star. It is the glory of God. The lamp of light is the Lamb of God lighting that city. Now, I want you to think with me just for a moment. Here we have a city that's surrounded by a diamond wall. All these beautiful jewels in the base of the wall Can you imagine, if you're looking from the outside, looking at that city, when you're approaching the city, what that must look like? Lit from the inside, going through diamonds and jewels. Can you imagine? We can't even begin to imagine the glory of what that city would look like. But again, we will see it one day. And because God's glory and Jesus' justice never dim, there is no night there. It will be eternally day. In the city of God. Chapter 21, verse 27 reminds us there is no sin, there is no danger, there is no thievery in the city. Therefore, you know, one of the things that we hear there are no locks on any of the doors because there's no reason to have them. There is no evil there. Now, I'm assuming that we do not sleep there. You know, in in the Psalms, it teaches us that God never sleeps. I believe when we are like Him, when we live with Him, we will not have the need for sleep either. I'm kind of glad of that. I kind of feel like sleep is a waste of time. (laughs) Isn't it sad you lose eight hours out of 24 every day? Uh, Well, we're going to be able to make use of every hour, of every minute, of every eternal day in heaven. These earthly bodies that age and tire out need more sleep. They'll be replaced by resurrection bodies. They will not tire. They will not hurt. uh, They will not age. They won't get gray or bald. (laughs) How wonderful to know that that eternal body is going to be perfect and it's going to be perfectly serving the Lord throughout eternity. Finally, in chapter 22, those first three verses that I read, it tells us that there is a river of life that flows out of the throne of God. The river of life. River of blessing that flows out of the throne of God. The source of the river is God Himself. The source of life is God Himself. You know, in Psalm 23, it says, My cup runneth over. King David, as he writes it, My cup runneth over. However, in Revelation 22, it says that the the water of blessing doesn't just fill our cup, it's an entire river that flows eternally. What blessings we will have when we are in the city of God and live there. Now, I know you've heard folks say that when we get to heaven, we're going to walk on streets of gold. That is not accurate. The Bible says that there is one street of gold in heaven. Do you notice that? Chapter 22, verse 2. One street of gold. So wherever we travel in the eternal city... It always leads to one destination. It always leads to the throne and the love of God Almighty. One street leading to one destination in heaven. There are no alleyways. There are no side streets in, on which to get lost. I'm glad of that. My sense of direction is horrible. I can get lost very easily. I won't get lost in heaven. Can't get lost in the new Jerusalem because there's one street, one way, one truth, One avenue, and it all leads to the love of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, do you remember in the book of Genesis, when Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she and Adam then fall into sin, there was another tree that God denied to them. It was the tree of life. If you want to turn with me, look. go to Genesis 3. 22 through 24, Genesis chapter 3, at least write that reference down, 22 through 24. This is when they were sent from the garden, and the Lord God said, "'Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever,' Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed on the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So basically, when Adam and Eve fall into sin and God brings punishment upon them, he denies them access to the tree of life. He denies them access to eternal life. When God created Adam and Eve, He created them to live eternally in a perfect state. When they fell into sin, they lost that privilege of eternal life. God had to intervene to bring life once again, but the tree of life was then blocked for them. However, in Revelation, from the first book of Genesis now to the last book in Revelation in the new Jerusalem, the tree of life is again accessible to the saved. It exists on either side of the street of God and the river of God. There is no death. There is no mourning. There are no tears, no hurt, no pain. There will only be joy and fellowship and worship there, and we freely have access to the tree of life once again. So we see it denied in Genesis and given to us again in Revelation. One other point about heaven. I do not believe that heaven is a place where you and I go to retire. I do not believe that heaven is a place where you and I are going to languish around on a cloud and play a harp all day long. Rather, I believe that the Bible teaches us that we are going to have holy work in heaven. Look at chapter 22, verse 3. The last few words that I read tonight, There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. So we, His servants are going to serve God for all eternity. I believe that heaven is going to be a place of perfect action where we're going to be able to serve God in a perfect way and we're going to do our service for Him tirelessly and joyfully and willingly and we will never tire of being able to serve our God who saves us. It won't be work at all. Service is not work. Service is joy. It it should be true on this side of heaven that service to the Lord should be joy to us. But in heaven, it will be an eternal joy to serve the Lord. You don't have to worry about getting bored. You're going to have something to do throughout all eternity for the Lord Jesus Christ. And praise God, while we might be doing different things, we're all going to be together in serving Him. Tonight, brothers and sisters, we need to thank God that our place is assured in this great city. And I know that I've only given it just a hop and a skip on the mountaintops tonight. But the glory of the city of God is absolutely unimaginable. It cannot be put into human words. I believe that it was so overwhelming that John could only write so much. He, he just had to use an economy of language because words just can't spell out what heaven looks like. But we will see one day The great glory of heaven. There's one last personal thought that I have. When we're talking about the size of the cube, and and, uh, maybe when we think about heaven and the great expanse of the universe, and and we look at this cube maybe be just a a little bigger than the moon according to the uh, dimensions that we see here, I do believe that while we will live in the New Jerusalem, I also believe that those gates are swung open so that we have access to all. The creation of God. Maybe in my little human limited understanding, the new Jerusalem is my home base. Maybe that's where my mansion will reside. But, but I believe you and I, as co-inheritors of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only do we live there, but according to God's Word, we own it. We are inheritors of it. And, and so it belongs to us, and that means we have total access to it all. So while we may live in the New Jerusalem, it's not a prison. doesn't mean that you go in and you never come out. I believe that we're going to have free passage to go in and out and explore all of God's creation uh, to to the maximum degree. Do you agree with me in that? I can't see the New Jerusalem as just being this little encapsulated place where we just reside and all of heaven's glory surrounds us. I believe that we're going to have access to all of that. Well, that's what I believe in one of these days we will see, that we will have free passage um, as God's creation and God's uh, children, the ones He loves so much. But our true home is assured to us, and it is because of what Jesus did for us, the wounding of His flesh on the old rugged cross, taking away our sin for everyone who expresses belief in the assurance of salvation in him. And the Bible says, whosoever will come is welcome in the kingdom of God, welcome to salvation. Jesus died for the world. He died for us all. And everyone who says yes to him will share this absolutely gorgeous home. Praise God, he paid for our place to be there. It came at great price, but it's free to any believer who comes to Christ as Savior. But in the midst of the new Jerusalem, I remind you once again, there are only a very few leftovers of this old earth. But those leftovers are going to remind us of Jesus' great gift. We will see the, the scars of spikes uh, in His hands and in His feet. We will see the marks of the cross. We will see the gash in His side. And we will be eternally reminded It's because of His giving Himself that we have a home there. The greatest statement of our presence in the new Jerusalem will be the marks of the cross that we will see on the Lamb of God. How thankful we need to be that Jesus died so we could have this home in glory and we will live with Him, a risen, living, loving Savior for all eternity. What a a great message that is for every believer. But tonight, if you're here and you've never come to Him as Lord and Savior, or if you listen to this lesson somewhere down the road on a CD, and you've never made that decision for the Lord Jesus, He is waiting for you. He paid the price for you. This home is for you, and all you need to do is with utter faith, with repentance for sin, saying, Lord Jesus, I am sorry. I know I'm a sinner, and I know that I've been separated from you by my own sin. But, Lord Jesus, I know that you died on the cross. Your flesh was wounded that I might be forgiven. You paid the price for me that I might be forgiven and that I might have this home. I want to live for you, and I want to live with you. And I know the only way that is to happen is for me to come to you in faith and trust and belief And in this moment, I give my heart to you.